Let's open our Bibles to Romans 5. If you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, pass that to the center aisle. We'll collect those and certainly we'll be praying for you this week. We continue in our study of Romans 5. We're going to take an excursion beginning next um, week on Mother's Day. And we'll take that through Father's Day, just talking about issues in the family, issues in the culture, really flowing out of the foundation that we found in the book of Romans. Uh, You know, we've been establishing things through the years in the Word of God, and sometimes we need to go back to them. I'm really hoping to establish that in that series uh, from Mother's Day to Father's Day. But this morning, today, we're looking at Adam and Christ, and specifically the... um, uh, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And Adam, we all die. And actually, we're calling the message this morning, Death Reigns. And that's the legacy of Adam. Last summer, we were enjoying some uh, time in Pensacola at the beach. And um, we noticed uh, next to us, there was a construction crew, which really made the atmosphere at the beach nice. <laughs> As we heard them putting pilings and anchors uh, deep in the ground, for a hotel that was going up. So, ding, 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 it's just all the way down. And it just seemed to go on a long time. And for a good reason, because hurricanes come roaring through that region of the Florida coastline, and if that building's not anchored in, uh, it's gonna blow away in the wind. And I see a parallel there between that laborious task of an- anchor driving and what we're doing here in the book of Romans. It really is piling in gospel anchors in our life to be held so we're, that we're not blown away uh, by the winds of this world. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul spoke of pastor teachers equipped um, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ unto maturity. And then he said, uh, speaking um, uh, to God's people, that we would no longer be children blown here and there by every wind of doctrine. So as we're looking at these gospel anchors, uh, I'm reminded of Martin Luther's um, verse in his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us, and may that be so. Our journey through Romans has taken us through the badlands of human humanity, human depravity rather, uh, which is really key to understanding the gospel. If you think that we're, I'm okay, you're okay, uh, basically it's just um, minor tweaks that we need, you're not going to understand the depth of what God has done through Jesus Christ. Our sin has separated us from him, fractured that relationship, and every other relationship has flown from it. Paul has much to say in Romans about the devastating impact that sin has on all of creation. In just a few chapters, in chapter 8, forward in the book of Romans, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So that includes everything, not just the human body, that includes a a creation, a a universe that groans because of uh, of sin's impact, a groaning creation. And so the misery of this world is directly linked to that scene in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve took of the fruit, ate of the fruit, entered into spiritual alienation and death before the living God, 
and everything has spread from it. I was on, put onto a documentary called Pain, Pus, and Poison. It's a three-parter, so part one and part two I've seen. If part three goes off the rails, I'm sorry. But this is a, a wonderful treatment of the history of disease and medications that, come, uh, that have come in God's common grace. Uh, this series reminds us that it was not so long ago that infections and disease could end your life in a matter of days. We don't think that way. <laughs> we get a upper respiratory and we get a regimen of antibiotics and we're on and we're moving on. But this documentary re- reminded me anyway in watching it, that has not always been the case. A perfectly healthy man or woman could be fine one day, contract an illness, and be dead by the end of the week. Yeah, that can happen, but it's rare. It can happen, but it's rare. But it didn't used to be rare. In World War I, more soldiers died from infection after being wounded than from being killed on the battlefield. No antibiotics. That wouldn't come for another 30 plus years or more. The first president of the United States, George Washington, in the last week of his life, got on his horse, went for a ride, came back, had developed an upper respiratory infection. The best doctors in the land, the best doctors money could buy, came to attend to him. They rubbed a plant solution on his neck that had no medicinal value, only irritated his skin. They bled him. Four pints of his blood. That's 40% of his blood. They used to think that was helpful. And he died within hours. Smallpox. 30 million. A 30% death rate at one time. Polio. We are a part of that creation and we have all been impacted by Adam's sin and our present attention in Romans 5 is where Paul outlines what is commonly called original sin. That doesn't refer to Adam's first sin. That's what you might think of original sin, Adam actually taking the fruit and eating it. Really, this is a, a, a term that is describing Adam's fall. It's referring to the sin that is ours because of Adam's fall. He is speaking of a guilt as well as a nature. We inherit from, uh, because God has counted all guilty in Adam. Wayne Grudem writes, the guilt is ours because it belonged to our first father, Adam, and we inherit it from him, which may rub us a little wrong. Until we go back to Romans 5 and see, you know, that's exactly what Paul is saying to us. That God treats humanity in Adam, but he also treats a new humanity in Christ. And that's where our hope is. Joel Beakey, in his uh, systematic theology, begins with these sobering words. Though the doctrine of original sin, inherited sin, is controversial, the reality of sin is overwhelming and irrefutable. Its poison begins in the cradle and raises its head in childish lies and playground cruelty. Sin distorts our relationships, dirties our business dealings defiles our sexuality, damages our world. Its ruinous effects range from broken marriages to genocidal wars. Sin clings to our last breath. There is no more horrifying end than to die in one's sins. 
which brings really the hope of the gospel. Grace greater than all of our sin is found in Jesus Christ. So I want us to maybe plug in here, not maybe, I want us to plug in here to Romans 5, 12 through 21, which John Stott likens to a well-chiseled carving or a carefully constructed musical composition. And I want you to think with me about the whole prospect of death, how it permeates this world, and what hope do you have as you face your death? Or the death of a loved one? Or any crisis in your life? Let's hang these thoughts on four observations. First, death's cause. We've already alluded to verse 12. We've studied it and Look at it again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. But not only that, verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation, condemnation to, for all men. So it, with Adam's one trespass, which broke and breached his relationship with God, it spread, it spread through the world. Turn with me just for a moment here to, to Romans excuse me, Genesis, Genesis chapter 5. I, I want you to look at this chapter which is um, just filled with this idea here. Coming out of Genesis 3 where God speaks judgment to Adam, to Eve, to the serpent. And in it he gives a promise of the gospel that one would come um, that he would put enmity between the serpent and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel as one of the first references to a redeemer who would come to crush the head of Satan. But as you follow this out in, in Genesis 4, Adam and Eve came together. They bore Cain. They had Abel. Cain kills Abel. We move on through chapter 4 and it gets worse. In verse 23 of chapter 4, we read of Limech, who was the first gangster rapster in, uh, in the Bible. As he, he said in verse 24, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Limech's is seventy-sevenfold. And then in chapter 5, someone has called Genesis 5, the funeral director's delight. Because you read of the line of Adam. Verse 5, Adam lived 930 years and he died. Verse 8, Seth lived 912 years and what did he do? He died. Verse 11, Enosh, 905 years and he, he died. You getting the picture? The whole chapter emphasizes what God has said from the very beginning, Adam, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. That would, that would include a spiritual death, but also a physical death. The wonder of it all is that Adam wasn't executed on the spot. But in fact, the earth filled. And we've been dying ever since. So back to, to Romans 5. Adam and Christ are compared through this chapter. And this used to be common knowledge that we all sin in Adam. We all die in Adam. I think if Adam and Eve could have had a bumper sticker, it would have said what? We lost it all. <laughs> That's what it'd say on their car. We lost it all. 
Paradise Lost. But this used to be understood. This used to be taught in the early elementary school uh, primers, primers. And the New England primer, for example, A, in Adam, in Adam's sin, we sin all. I don't think that's taught in elementary school in Louisiana anymore. A is for Adam, who was the first man who broke God's command and thus sin began. And then the catechisms. In what condition did God make Adam and Eve? He made them happy and holy is the answer. Did they stay that way? No, they sinned and misery came. The seasoned preacher Albert Martin had a sermon entitled, A Bad Record in a Bad Heart. And that's what we find in Adam. Adam's sin is a major impact. So Romans 5 really is like a massive pillar, a massive anchor being driven into the ground that we would understand how we view the world. In Psalm 8, King David said, what is man? That is the question, isn't it? What is man? There's a lot of confusion on what that is today. I mean, we have high-ranking officials who don't know what a woman is, what a, what a man is. I mean, that's amazing. More about that in the coming weeks. But David says, what is man? Not that he didn't know, he fills in the blank. That he was made in the image of God. That God put him in dominion over his creation. And sin has come. Sin has come. And so, think about your life for a moment. What it means to be an Adam. What it means to have a sin nature. What it means to be redeemed and forgiven. And a right standing with God. Edward Sanford Martin once said, within my earthly temple, there's a crowd. There's one of us who's humble and one of us who's proud. There's one who's brokenhearted for his sins. There's one that is unrepentant and sits and grins. There's one that loves his neighbor as himself and one that cares for nothing but fame and self. From much corroding care, I would be free if I could once determine which is me. So I'm praying that you would know that you're in Jesus Christ. That in Adam we all die. And that is the cause. But not only is that the cause, let's look secondly at death's reign. Look at verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, you know, there, I, I can imagine a pushback. Okay, so he took the fruit. What's the big deal? <laughs> What's the big deal? We think that way, don't we? Okay, he stepped over the line. So what? Well, you know, I think, honestly, those thoughts reveal just how skewed we are from the ways of God. His ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. And that this creature created from the dust would violate the command of the living God required an infinite punishment. And so, because of one man's trespass, death reigned. Notice verse 7, death reigned through that one man. So that as sin reigned in death, verse 21 says, 
So Paul is presenting humanity again in two groups, in Adam and in Christ. We're all in Adam, but only those who repent and believe are in Jesus Christ. Jew and Gentile together are guilty before God, and we are justified by faith and faith alone. And so we, a lot comes to bear here with regard to death's reign. It came from the garden, and this affects how we view the world. It, it affects really our understanding of Scripture, not wanting to go beyond what Paul is wanting to communicate here, but it just begs the question, Adam was a real person. Adam created a real transgression that affected everything that we know. So death came to all men because all sinned. And the big question is this, in what sense have we all sinned so that we all die? And Paul brings up that argument. What about those who lived between Adam and Moses before there was a law? And the answer to that is that we're counted guilty in Adam. Yes, there was violation of moral law. Yes, there were examples of gross sins. Yes, there were pictures in the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah and other places where it was clear that there were transgressions and God was grieved and sorrowful over the behavior of people, so much so that it brought a definitive judgment. And so the, the only explanation that comes is that all die because all sinned in and through Adam who was our representative, our federal head, which means he was our representative, the representative of humanity, and that God dealt with and through him. And because of that, death reigned. Death reigns. And the sorrows and the miseries we know in this world. But let's look thirdly at death's remedy. Salvation through Jesus Christ. Verse 15, but the free gift. That's a wonderful way to speak of salvation. It's the free gift of God. The greatest gift that you could ever receive is God's salvation. And you can't work for it. It's a free gift. You can't deserve it. There's nothing in your resume that's going to qualify you to get the gift. It would cease to be a gift. It's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And so he says, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more, meaning of greater power, uh, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounding for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment follows one trespass and it brought condemnation. But what what does this free gift bring? The free gift following many trespasses brought justification. We are declared legally righteous in the courtroom of heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So which do you, do you have this free gift? If you've come into this gathering today and you're wondering what's, what's, what's the Bible about? What's Christianity about? And the idea and the reason we've gathered here to worship and sing the songs that we've sung today it's because God has come to us in His grace and given to us His, His gift of eternal life, which can be given to you today, if you would be willing, if you would come to Him, if you would repent of your sins and believe today, that free gift can be yours right now. That's the gospel we preach. 
the well men offer the gospel, that if you repent of your sins and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, He will come to you, He will forgive you, He will live within you, He will guide you through this life and take you into His very presence. That sounds like a great gift, doesn't it? And when that time comes for you to die, He won't be far away. He'll be right there with you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, come to Him today by faith. Lead. May, may you allow Him and surrender to Him in your life. This promise of redemption, we mentioned it in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. But all the way through the Old Testament, God spoke of this free gift to come. In the days of, of Moses, do you remember when the death angel came over Egypt and Moses was given instruction for all the, to tell all the Israelites to put blood over the lintel door, the lintel of their door, and when the death angel came over, he would see the blood. In fact, it's in Exodus 12, 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. What a beautiful picture of how the blood is applied in the believer's life, that by faith in Jesus Christ, his blood is reckoned to us as righteousness. The wrath of God does not abide on us. He paid for it on Calvary. And what about Job and all the sorrows and sufferings of Job? He does speak out with a great word of hope. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he shall, at the last, he will stand upon the earth. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows and by his stripes we are healed. The, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this free gift of salvation. Do you have that gift? Do you have saving faith and trust in Jesus Christ? I pray so. I pray that you would be in Christ today. Not in Adam. As the last word in your life, we're all linked to him, but in Christ there is salvation. It is death's remedy. I was reminded of how guilt can be overwhelming. After years of denial, baseball legend Pete Rose finally admitted on, to betting to, to, on, on baseball games that he played in. He said, people have to understand, I wish this would have never happened, I bet. But Rose went on to say, but I can't change it, it's, it's happened, and I'm just looking for a second chance. We all get that, don't we? We all understand that. And the beauty of the gospel is in all of our failures and in all the instances in our life where we would say, I wish it didn't happen, but it happened. We have a Savior who comes to us and surrounds us in His grace, who forgives our past and gives us hope for the future. And so the call of the gospel is this. Those in, desire, those in need of second, third, and 100th plus chances in this world, that there's a gospel of grace by which our standing with God remains secure that will never be condemned in Christ except that you're a part of a sinful human family. Confess your sins to the Lord Jesus Christ. Agree with Him about them.
Receive him by faith. Trust him personally. His perfect life in exchange for your blemished record. His death in which he took your place. His resurrection that he really is alive. This is resurrection plus two, two weeks removed from Easter. He's still alive. He's still on the throne. He's still coming back. Do you know him? I have found in conversations recently just a lot of excuses of why people don't want to yield their life to Christ. I've just, just been noticing this more and more in conversations that I have with people. Um, here's, a, here's, here's the, the top of the list right now. I, I'm just not ready. I'm not ready. Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not advocating assault evangelism. <laughs> That's no good, you know. Assault evangelism. That's not what I'm talking about. But I, I, it, it begs a response. You're not ready for what? You're treating this issue of salvation in your life like you've got all the time in the world. You don't. There's nothing worse than you dying in your sins. Nothing. So you better get ready in a hurry. Because these are urgent words. Woe to those who sleep under the gospel. Here's another one. I'm not sure. You're not sure of what? Doesn't it demand the best effort you can give to try to answer any intellectual problems you may have about the Bible, about the claims of the gospel, about any aspect of what this is saying? Because this is the difference between life and death. This is the difference between heaven and hell. What do you mean you're not ready? What do you mean you're not sure? Do something about it. In love, I would say to you, get ready and be sure. For this book was written that you may know that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you might have life in His name. I'm too busy. Yeah, you are. To neglect the gospel, you are too busy. To give your life and energy to things that are going to burn, that are going to be blown to the wind, yeah, you're right, you're too busy. Reevaluate your commitments and get your heart right with Jesus Christ. I'm just not interested. You must really love your sin then. To not be interested in the greatest gift, the most important message you could ever hear in this life, to be rightly related with the God who created you and redeemed you? What do you mean you're not interested? To ignore the most glorious being in the universe? What a misplaced life you live. I just love my life and I want to live it my way. That's the way of the fool. There you have it. That's the truth, isn't it? I think that's what Paul's getting at in this text. When we understand who we are in Adam, the loss, the death, the sorrow. Yeah, Christians suffer in this world. We know that's true. But there is a blessed hope and a blessed peace. Let's look finally with a word of triumph and hope. In our remaining moments, death's defeat. Verses 18 through 21. 
Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life. (laughs) Justification in life for all men, all who believe and rest in him. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, but by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That is why Jesus Christ should be the hero of your life. He was obedient to the end. And he is the way that leads to life. In Adam, we're without hope. We are doing what is right in our own eyes. We cannot save ourselves apart from God's overcoming grace through Jesus Christ. We perish. There is no other life but in Christ. I was reminded of this in my reading recently. A scene from the Chronicles of Narnia. The silver chair. Listen to C.S. Lewis. In one part, a girl named Jill bursts into an open opening in the forest, and she's, she's thirsty. And she spies a stream not far away, but she, she doesn't rush forward to throw her face into its refreshing current. She freezes in fear because nearby is a huge golden lion, which in Lewis' writing is a, a figure for Christ. So Jill sees this huge gold lion resting in the sun right beside the stream. Are you not thirsty, said the lion? I'm dying of thirst, Jill said. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill? (laughs) The lion answered this only by a look and a low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill? I make no such promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without realizing it, she had come to step nearer. Do do you eat little girls? She said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There are no other streams, said the lion. And some of you are looking for a stream for your parched heart. And you're looking for it in all the wrong places. When what you need to do is hear the words of Jesus Christ who said that He is the true fountain of water. And whoever drinks of the water He gives will never thirst again. That's the difference. That's how we view the world. He has satisfied the thirst of our heart and He is a living fountain to us. He left His Father's throne above, Jesus did, So free, so infinite His grace, emptied Himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. 
Tis mercy all, immense and free, for my God it found out me. There's sometimes, I know it's true for you, when we watch the news, when we experience the trials of this life, we feel like it's just careening out of control. Charles Swindoll said, an out-of-control world doesn't mean we serve an out-of-control God. A world with ruthless rulers doesn't mean God has lost His rule. The growing screech of chaos can't hush the inviting whisper of Jesus Christ, which is my hope anytime the gospel is preached, that it would come and grab hold of you and say to you, you're mine, come to me, my faith. And we come for His glory and for His grace to know and love Jesus Christ. Listen to me, beloved congregation, brothers and sisters, to know and love Jesus Christ always puts you on the right side of history. Always side with him, side with his claims, stand on his promises, and live for his glory. It says in verse 21, Backing up to verse 20, now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through, through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. May you find it in Him, and I pray that you would come to Him this day if you're without Him. Would you bow with me in prayer? In Christ, we are destined for a kingdom where there are no more tears, no more trips to the hospital, no more trips to the cemetery, no more funerals, no more sorrows, no more pain, no more sin. That's not pie in the sky by and by. These are the promises of God for those in Christ. Is He your Lord? Is He your Savior? Do you feel the urgency even now? Yet in another appointed time for you to hear this good news, come by faith to Him this morning right now. For the believer in Jesus Christ, as we look at passages like Romans 5, allow this to be a, a piling an anchor driven into your heart. Remember this text and how you and I view the world. It will save us from great miseries and confusion and keep us anchored in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come to the close of this service this morning, we want to be fully surrendered to you. No half-hearted offerings here. No flippant responses to such a glorious grace. Would you lead us now in these closing moments to be reminded of how complete we are in you. Never to be condemned. Right standing, free access to you. Now and forever. Through the finished work of Christ our Lord. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. May our hearts be committed to the Lord as we sing this wonderful song together.